From Yahoo Finance, this is Electionomics. I'm Rick Newman. And I'm Alexis Christophorus. Welcome to another edition of Electionomics, where we are broadcasting once again from our respective homes. Thanks so much for being with us. Joining Rick Newman and myself today is Stanley Greenberg. He's a Democratic pollster who's worked with Bill Clinton and Nelson Mandela, a who's who list. He's also the author of RIP GOP. And today we're going to talk about this pandemic and its ongoing effects on the 2020 election as we inch closer to November. Um, Stan, it's so good to have you with us. Let me begin by asking you about Joe Biden. I mean, we, we sort of forget we have an election going on, uh, the backdrop to this pandemic. Uh, we haven't heard a lot about Biden. According to your latest polls, how is he doing? Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, including in, in this uh, in this new format. I may like it uh, better than the, <laughs> than the actually getting together and seeing you in the studio. Um, but we talked before, um, but this has really become an extraordinary election, but become even more extraordinary, you know, given the pandemic. I can't believe the chapters that we now have to play through, have already played through uh, before we even get to a November election. Uh, we have a primary that Biden, you know, triumphed, had momentum, uh, but it all got, you know, delayed, uh, you know, by the pandemic, the, uh, the, the postponing of the, uh, the actual votes. Uh, Sanders hasn't endorsed. And so we have a very inconclusive primary. You have Biden being pushed out of the spotlight, uh, you know, by the president being on every day, uh, you know, dealing with the crisis and, and very much of it shifting to, you know, to how Trump is handling the crisis. And that too has changed. And people are very obviously focused on their own lives and their own families. Um, so he's out of the spotlight. I, I, the structure of the election, amazingly, you know, has not changed. I mean, I, I trust voters to kind of make some very big judgments about the state of the country. Uh, I believe voters were in revolt uh, against uh, President Trump and they were acting on it in their, ev at every chance they had. I think that'll be put on pause, but every poll I'm looking at, you know, shows the election totally stable, the vote, you know, that we did in a poll, um, you know, that, you know, finished on Monday uh, was stable. Um, the vote for Congress was stable. They were actually a little better for the Democrats, but basically, you know, stable. And so I think voters will just pause on that. Um, and then when they get past the crisis and we get to a point uh, in May when we're getting back, I think they will re-engage. Um, and I think the structure of the race will continue. But it's uh, obviously it'll matter how the president handles it. And the president has the spotlight and that will be the most important piece uh, for him. Stan, I get your research, uh, and I um, have been interested in your findings in the battleground states. Uh, we, on this podcast, we do yeah. focus a lot on the swing states or the battleground states, and even on a relatively small number of voters, swing voters in the swing states who we think mm -hmm. are going to determine the outcome of the election. So you, mm -hmm. your recent polling seems to have shown that Biden is pretty strong in the swing states, right? Yes. I mean, Bernie is not. I mean, Sanders, you know, we, uh, you look at Sanders, uh, in those swing states. Uh, he only matches uh, Hillary Clinton's performance in 2016. Uh, but Biden you know, was running about you know, five points stronger than Trump in those states. You know, that's a six point swing uh, you know, in, the, you know, in those states. Um, that would translate into a pretty good electoral college victory. And his actually biggest problem was consolidating Democrats. You know, Democrats, Sanders voters are very much somewhere around three quarters of them are voting for him in a general election, but Democrats are not consolidated. They are still fractured and that's still one of the big factors in how, in my view, how big Biden wins. 
So if your if your uh, polls are showing Biden with let's say something like a five percentage point lead, does a does a lead in a like if it if the election were tomorrow, would that strongly suggest that Biden would win by five uh, percentage points? No, that's a, you know what we're looking at there is the is the is the battleground states. You know Donald Trump won the, these battleground sixteen battleground states by. Can you just can you just name some of them so sure. everybody knows? Sure. Yes. Yes. So you're dealing obviously with the you're dealing with you know Maine. You're dealing with New Hampshire. Uh, you know Pennsylvania. You know Ohio, you know Ohio, Michigan. You know Wisconsin, Minnesota. You know Iowa. Um, you go to North Carolina, Virginia, you know, North Carolina, you know, Florida, go over to the West, you go to Colorado, you know, Nevada, you know, you know, Arizona. I may have missed the state, but there, you know, it does not include Texas. Um, you know, and it doesn't include obviously, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the big, you know, the big, you know, the big states of New York and California that are, you know, not, you know, competitive and Texas, which actually might be competitive, but we didn't include it. But if you look at those states, Hillary Clinton, you know, lost them by one. She won the national vote by two. Um, so these states are a little bit more, you know, Republican. And so if you look at the swing in in, in this vote, um, Trump, you know, won it, you know, by one. He's winning, uh, you know, Biden's winning it by four or five if you squeeze to a two-party uh, election. Um, that represents a five-point swing. So that meant like if Hillary won by two nationally. That would translate into seven, you know, nationally. So it, it's not like the nine points that Democrats have been winning in the midterm elections. It's not quite there because, to be honest, Democrats are still pretty divided. There are, there are a lot of Sanders voters who are not yet consolidated. You know, the biggest problem aren't swing voters. The, the Republican Party has been shedding voters. They've been driving voters away. Uh, I've been trying to tell this story, but people are so focused on the rallies, the campaign rallies, you know, they, they think, well, look, these voters still are for Trump. Well, those are the campaign rallies. They're not the real voters. If you look at white working class voters in the midterm elections, you know, he lost them. The swing was 13 or 14 points where he lost his margin amongst those key voters. And the women have continued to move against him. So it's actually become a fairly close race with the women. And they are a majority of the white working class. And so they... There's been a revolt against Trump that people just haven't paid attention to. There are less Republicans, you know, by about three points in terms of people identifying as Republican. And they're, they're becoming uh, independents. And so the independents are heavily voting uh, Democratic. But the other piece is, and I didn't believe this would happen. This is the biggest surprise for me in the election. I thought these voters, the moderate Republicans and the McCain Republicans, who have polled away from the Republican Party is because this is a Tea Party Trump, you know, party. They've pulled have pulled away. I thought maybe by November that they would, you know, like vote for Biden or depending on the candidate, uh, the Democrats ran. But they're voting in the Democratic primaries. So if you hmm. look at the Michigan at the like the most Republican towns, there's been this 45% increase in turnout in Republican towns, Republican townships in Michigan terms, um, you know, voting in the Democratic primary. Hmm. And so the this revolt against, you know, Trump has, you know, has carried through from the moment he came into office. Does that mean those every election are, they play it out, you know, and the margins get bigger. It's hmm. paused and we'll have to wait to see. Look, if Trump really impressed people, really get, took control of the government, you know, reached out to work out with Democrats and Republicans, you know, 
in some ways apologized for the things that he didn't get, you know, didn't get right, tried to unite the country, tried to unite the country behind kind of a, a new deal to bring the country out of this. Uh, but none of that's happening. You know, he's acting like the same Donald Trump. There just isn't any evidence that he's, you know, that he's winning over, you know, swing voters. And his approval rating in most of the public polls now is going to fall back to where it was before the crisis. So Stan, I just to clarify, I'm, for a second, Stan, because yeah. I think it's always it was always going to be a referendum on Trump. I think we knew right. that from the get go. But, you know, in many ways, this pandemic could either mm. help his chances or hurt his chances. What are you seeing in the polls right now with the way America is responding to his response to this pandemic? And and is there enough time there to change the tide between now and when we do go to the polls in the general election? Right. Um, Look, I, I agreed with you that the this was about Trump. I mean, this was people. This was that's what's motivating people. That's what's pushing people away from the Republican Party. And I thought in, Trump was in a lot of trouble all all along the way, even on the economic issues, because at an at an personal level, people were still struggling and actually didn't believe this exaggerated view that things have never been better for them and their family. But the pandemic, I, I think, has changed that, but it doesn't necessarily help them. Because now it's a question of, well, who can handle this kind of crisis? The comparison then becomes important. But I agree with you. It's now moved just about Trump to, I think, now a comparison of how is Trump doing versus the person who would replace him. Uh, Stance, let me ask about Joe Biden's vulnerabilities here. Now, he, he still has to deal with Bernie Sanders to some extent, so he is not you know, getting all the advantages of being the Democratic nominee yet. Presumably he will if something mm -hmm. unforeseen does not happen. But um, he doesn't, you know, the, you know the raps against Biden. He doesn't excite people. Um, he, he doesn't have a strong appeal to young voters. Turnout might be lower than it would be with a rabble rouser like Bernie Sanders. Uh, what about those vulnerabilities? You know, well, the... Um Sometimes, you know, a candidate is, you know, right for the time and you, and you just don't get it. You know, the, you know, I worked for Ayod Barak, you know, when he was running, you know, in Israel. He was a military person. It was awful on TV. Um, and he would just say what, you know, he thought. At one point he was, he was asked, you know, if the, uh, you know, if you were, if you were born in the Palestinian territories, you know, how, you know, how would your attitude be different? And he said, um, well, I might have been a terrorist had I grown up in the Palestinian territories. And like for six months, you know, in the in the polling, he was just wasn't even considered a, a legitimate, you know, candidate. But you reach a point in time, and you know what? Being that kind of kind of blunt, you know, blunt military person is right for the time, given Israel, given you know a particular point in time when you want to want a certain kind of you know leader, and so. You know, Biden, with his experience, and given you know, given everything that's happened here and this mess and handling the pandemic, um, it just may be right, you know, for the time. And we'll see how he picks a vice president. He said it'll be a woman. Uh, you know, you know, will that unite the party? Will that you know create excitement? Uh, I, I think the challenge is, you know, do you actually have a convention? Do you have you know, do you have do you have those things that enable you to help unite? And motivate. Now, I think the voters are self-motivating. We've had historic turnout, um, and we had historic turnout for Biden. You know, if you look at what happened ultimately in this in the suburban areas and other areas, 
and also, you know, working class areas. Um, they had big turnouts in the primary, historically high turnout, um, you know, in order to, you know, to make the kind of change the country wants. I think they will get excited and united ultimately around Biden. But you have to go through a process of finishing the primaries. And it's hard because it, it's been extended. But I wouldn't assume that once you get to that moment, you know, why wouldn't he be able to unite the party which has Trump as, you know, as a, as, as a motivator? Um, you know, having a real convention, I think, will be very important for him. But, you know, it's uncertain. I think Trump will push very hard for him to have a real convention because it, it would be a real judgment about his presidency if he couldn't have the convention. So they will have the convention. So I think there'll be a lot of pressure on Democrats to hold their convention as well. Um, and I think Biden needs it as well. You know, Stan, what what about, because I saw in um, some of your research and your polling that the, the Democrats could actually take back the Senate. Do you see that being a scenario where they get control of Congress, mm -hmm. but Biden doesn't win? That Trump is president, but Congress swings Democratic? No, I don't. Look, the... There, people are. There's such straight ticket voting, you know, going on right now. Um, there's, there's no way you're going to have a, you know, a reversal, you know, switching that result uh, when you get to the, you know, Senate. Um, so I think there'll be a pressure towards straight ticket voting. Um, I think, you know, you know, whoever wins the presidency, I think. I don't think the House is going to switch. You know, the suburban swing is so strong, and it got stronger. If you look at what happened in the midterms. If you look what happened in 2019 in, in those elections in, the, in Virginia, Democrats made even more suburban gains. So, you know, every trend has continued right through his president, presidency. So I don't see any kind of reversal in the House because that's where they made their biggest gains. Um, and the presidency will depend, you know, that will determine the Senate. I think the Democrats have a 50-50 chance on the Senate. That's only if they're winning the presidency. Can you describe what it will, where will the battle for the Senate turn? Well, I mean, if you, if you look at the, these, re, you know, results, the, I think, uh, I think in Maine and Colorado, you have, you know, the Republicans, you know, in the, in the biggest, you know, trouble. Um, and then, and then you, you know, obviously need to get, I think it's Arizona and North Carolina um, are going to be the, uh, you know, the big ones that would, you know, that would, you know, flip it. Um, you know, if you look at Arizona, you know, the Democrats are looking pretty, you know, pretty good in that, that race. It's a pretty independent candidate, uh, you know, who's doing well. Uh, but North Carolina, it's pretty unpopular in, uh, incumbent. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the front line, North Carolina, Colorado. You know, that's one of this. Uh, so, Stan, I want to ask you about uh, the economy and how that w is likely to factor in. So, We've seen some research recently that says uh, suggests the economy is a little less important to voters than it has been in the past. It's not necessarily right. the economy stupid anymore. But that was before right. the coronavirus right, right. recession. So uh, on election day, we could have, uh, I mean, the unemployment rate in swing states could be several and probably will be several points mm -hmm. higher than it is now. Uh, would that inherently work against the incumbent Trump? That would be the conventional wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think so. But I mean, it's not just conventional wisdom. If you look at the academic literature, uh, it is change in median income in the two quarters prior to the election is the, is the, is the translation of the economy. There isn't actually a very strong correlation between full employment 
um, and mm -hmm. uh, employment level um, and vote for president. It's changes in the economy, whether income is going up or down. Um, and I think it's more likely they're going to be struggling to uh, with declining income, declining median income and and uh, and faltering employment. And so I think that's going to make it a lot harder for the president. I, mean, I think he already had it very difficult because he's running on a whole range of issues in which he is out of step with the country. You know, this is a become a pro-immigration country, a pro-trade country. I mean, on almost every issue that the president identifies, the country has become much more conscious of what it believes as a country. Immigration is like the most important, for example. I mean, the president is wants to close borders, blame China, you know, wants to um, build the build a wall in the middle of his press conferences, you know, even the, in the last few days, he will talk about, you know, the wall is one of his accomplishments and one of the things that are important to him. And as well as talking about having stopped movement, you know, from, you know, from Mexico. Well, the polling that, you know, we, you know, finished this week uh, shows that people have an incredibly negative view of the border wall. People believe immigration benefits the country. And they've come to believe this in very large numbers in reaction against Trump. And so he's still running as an anti-immigrant president who wants to close the border, limit trade on oil. He's talking about, you know, tariffs. He's talking about a whole range of things that are actually the country's against. As he's become pro-tariffs, the country's become very pro-free trade in reaction against everything he's doing on the trade war um, and dealing with China. So, you know, there are, once it moves off the economy, you know, what kind of country we are, whether we're a diverse you know, country and accept the fact our immigrant history, uh, whether we're open to the world or not, or engaging with the world uh, or not, or leaving the world or not. He, he is out of step with the country. And, and that's why the coalitions have formed against him. It's why he's lost so many Republicans. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's getting it back to the economy, but in a, in a way that disadvantages him. Um, it potentially advantaged him, you know, but, you know, people, you know, on the edge, still struggling with the cost of, you know, before the crisis, we're still struggling with the cost of housing and, and, and childcare and, you know, and almost everything else. And they were not, you know, standing up and applauding when he would give these speeches about America being the, at the greatest point ever. But now he has an economy that, uh, that will hurt him, but, you know, based on the history of how the economy affects voting. But Stan, could possibly people look at it this way? Hey, we had a pretty strong economy before this pandemic. We had a nice stock market rally and a strong economy in the years that he was in office. Um, perhaps a change in administration would be too disruptive to the economy and to the country at such a fragile moment in our history. Might there be people thinking that way? And could that not advantage Trump? Well, it, Look, it's not, it's not the way it's worked, you know, if we look at the academic literature. <laughs> that is, people have a, pretty sh uh, have a pretty short time horizon. To the extent to which they vote the economy, it's over a short time horizon. They don't vote the, you know, they don't vote the history. You know, look how much trouble, you know, the Bill Clinton had getting a strong economy translate, you know, took into his reelection. So four years before he really, you know, got, you know, you know, credit for that to a very strong, you know, um, you know, economy. Um, and then, you know, further into his presidency. But it, you know, it's hard. People have, you know, am I making gains now? 
and and my now is the last six months. You know, they're not they do not have a longer time frame on it. If we're looking about there are a lot of things that affect their vote. But if you're looking about the economy, it is the short term impact on their median income. So, Stan, um, what you're saying, I think, will be heartening to Democrats who look at what's going on. I mean, there's some Democrats who cannot believe Trump even still has a 42 or 45 percent approval rating overall. Right. And he's close to 50 percent in terms of his um, his uh, handling of the coronavirus crisis, even though that may has may, may have come down a little bit recently. Yeah. Um, how do you explain that Trump at least has that much popularity? And um, just also for our audience to understand, um, since you since you work since you have worked for Democrats, um, how do how do people know that this is not just wishful thinking? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm I'm focused on elections. Okay, the um, you know I'm, look, I'm looking at polling. Obviously, very closely. I'm a pollster. Uh, the um, but I'm looking at actual elections. And what's and what's happened in election after election, and not fluky elections because one party was excited and had high turnout, and the other low turnout. What you've looked at is historic turnout uh, in the in the elections one year after he came in. Uh, if you look at what happened in Virginia initially uh, in 2017, you had the midterm elections which had the highest midterm election in the history of the country, and the Democrats won by 8.6 percent. And then you looked at the end of 2019. Um, we had the elections in Virginia again, or all the suburban trends, you know, you know, you know, continued. Um, you looked at him campaigning in in, uh, in Kentucky and Louisiana, and Democrats winning the governor's races, you know, in those states, with him campaigning with historically high turnout. And in every case, the suburban trend continued. And so, what I'm looking at in the polls is yes, but they are. I would pause, obviously, and separate my thinking if it wasn't if voters weren't acting on what they're saying, and also it's it's also not just what they're saying about voting; it's what their attitudes are. You know, look at views of immigration. He's made immigration his top issue. He ran on it. That's who you know, he announced his candidacy on dealing with Mexican you know, Mexican immigration. If you look at the policies in office, every day it's been an escalation. Um, what he did on the border, separation of kids at the border, the border wall. He still talks about it, you know, now as, you know, what he is the evidence of his progress in achieving. He is running against immigration as his presidency. So at the same time that that is happening, the country has gone from about having half of the immigration benefits of the country to about two thirds. And, and, and it, you know, the they are it's not just what they're saying about voting. It's, it's about what they believe. And if you if you're a campaign somebody runs campaigns, if you are trying to make this a choice on immigration, one party's pro-immigration, one party's anti-immigration, the country's gone from 50% pro-immigration to two-thirds. Well, you're up you're running up against a huge barrier um, against your election on how you're defining the election. What you're pointing to is your accomplishment. What you're pointing to is your accomplishment is what people view is why they're voting against you. And so in, in area after area, he's just become out of sync with a changing country. There are demographic trends as well, but it's more a trend in consciousness in terms of what people are thinking and how that's affecting what the election's about. Stan, very uh, short question and short answer, hopefully. Okay. Who do you think is going to win in November and by how much? <laughs> um, well, I, look, 
I think it's, I, obviously, I think Biden, Joe Biden, you know, obviously going to be the nominee. Uh, I think the party will uh, will unite. I don't know who the vice president will, uh, selection, you know, will be. Uh, the Sanders voters were a huge part of what helped him from winning. You know, 15 per, you know, percent of Sanders voted for another candidate. Yeah, that's probably the most important, you know, piece. Uh, but I, I can see Biden, you know, winning by seven or eight points nationally. That would put him way beyond, you know, Obama's 2008 you know, win. Um, and that would put them in to have a strong electoral college win as well. Hmm. All right. We're going to leave it there, gentlemen. Much more to discuss as we move closer to November. I want to thank our guest, Stan Greenberg, Democratic pollster and author of RIP GOP for joining us. Rick, good to see you and your bow tie. Be sure to check us out and follow me at Alexis TV News. Oh, I'm supposed to say something. I here, and me at Rick J. Newman. I blame the technology format. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, everybody, for, for, for checking in. Stay safe. Be well. We'll see you next time.